You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. We had a blast Tuesday night. We had about 260-some awesome volunteers that served about 750, 770 men. Um, a few women, but mainly men showed up. Um, and we had an awesome time, some good food around the table, 45 men uh, committed their lives to Christ on Tuesday night. Isn't that awesome? And it all happened around the table. Around the table. That's a powerful statement because this morning we're going to be talking about the table and what can happen around the table as we continue this series, Love Like Jesus. You know, if someone were to come to you and ask you to describe Jesus or to define Jesus, like, you know, Tell me who Jesus was. and uh, It's probably a lot of different words that you would use to define or describe Jesus. But I would think somewhere close to the top of the list of your words would have to be the word love. Would you agree with that? Jesus was love. He came to reveal the love of God, and Jesus is his love. And as we have committed ourselves to be his followers, it means that we're called to love as he loved. Jesus didn't call us, hear me friends, Jesus didn't call us just to pray a prayer. He called us to be his followers, to follow after him. So let me tell you what that means. Let me put it right on the bottom shelf for you this morning. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus and go do whatever you want. To be a follower of Jesus means that we, we do what Jesus did. And so that's why we're in this series, Love Like Jesus. And our theme verse for this series comes out of John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And I I want to take you back to these defining words that Jesus said. The scriptures are on the screen. So I'm going to invite you to read this with me this morning. Let's read it together. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's three truths that we need to embrace from what Jesus said here in John 13. Three truths that should, that should really shape our lives. The first is this. We are commanded to love. Jesus directs us. This is not a suggestion. This is not an, an idea. Jesus, Jesus is not saying, hey, I've got an idea for you. No, it's just, I have a command for you. What does that mean? It means this, we don't have to form a committee to figure out, are we going to love or not? No, what we are commanded, we're commanded to love. And notice Jesus says that we should love one another. How many of you know one another is pretty broad? It means those you like and those you don't like, right? How many of you have some folks that you don't like? Come on, this is church. Don't lie in church. We all have. And this command to love one another even includes those who are really different from you, who you may not like so much. Jesus said, i got a command for you. I have a direction for you. You need to love one another. Interesting, the same thing that Jesus does here is he qualifies how we should love others. Notice what he says. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Here's a question for you. How did Jesus love you? In case you forgot, let me tell you how he loved you. He went to the cross. I'm convinced it was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you that kept him on the cross. Jesus said, you're to love others as I've loved you. The third thing Jesus says, very interesting. He says, as you love others, you're going to be a living witness, a living testimony 
of my presence. He says, you're going to be, you're going to be recognized by how you love. He said, other, other people will know you're my followers if you live out, if you live out love. And that's why we're in this short series, Love Like Jesus, because I believe we're really called to love like Jesus' love. So how does that practically work out? How does that work out in the Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays of our lives? Last week, Pastor Michelle did an awesome job. I watched it online. Um, She did an awesome job talking about love serves. Want to know what love does? Love serves. Love washes feet. Love looks for the opportunity to be a blessing in some way, in some form to others. That's what, love, that's what Jesus did. And that's, what, that's how we live out love. Now this morning we want to talk about a second way that we live out love. Um, and it's expressed as, as we talk about one of my favorite subjects being food. How many of you like food? Tweet your neighbor this morning and say, hey, you got to get the church pastors not talking about sin today. He's talking about food, fried chicken, German chocolate cake. Come on, can I get a witness on that? How many of you know it's a whole lot more fun to talk about food than it is sin? One of my favorite things to do, all, all truth, one of my favorite things to do right at the top of my list of things that fill my bucket maybe more than anything else is to enjoy a great meal and have great conversation with family and friends as I've gathered around the table. I mean, there's there's nothing that energizes me more. There's nothing that I find more fulfilling or more fun um, than just to gather around a table and laugh and talk and tell stories and and have fun. Um, and, And what's interesting is as we think about Jesus, you know, oftentimes when we think about Jesus, we think about the cross, we think about sacrifice, we think about suffering, we think about discipleship, we think about teaching, we think about miracles. But one of the things we never think about is Jesus and food. And as I begin to look at Scripture, and as I begin to see Scripture through a set of lenses of Jesus and food, Jesus was always about food. He was a connoisseur of food. Jesus was always around the table. And so if we're going to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, we've got to learn something about the table, about breaking bread, about what it means to, to find life and to share love around the table. And as, I, as I was looking at Scripture, I began to see all of these references connected to Jesus and food. So let me give you just a really quick overview, a really quick summary of Jesus and food. The first, first um, we began with... The, it's the um, first miracle that happened in Canaan. You remember what the first miracle was? It was turning water to wine at a wedding feast. I mean, you know, at a feast you have, you've got to have food. If you don't have food, it's not a feast. So Jesus is at the wedding celebration enjoying some food when all of a sudden we have a problem and that we're out of wine. The first miracle happened around a feast around, around food. Interesting, of the 23 parables that we have recorded that Jesus spoke, 15 of them somehow touch on, speak of, or relate to foods. That's 65%. Some of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed featured food. The feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, two different accounts recorded in Scripture where Jesus took 
bread and fish, and he multiplied it one time to feed a crowd of 4,000 men plus women and children. Another time he took a little boy's lunch, and he multiplied it to feed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe as much as 10,000 people that day. But, but Jesus, what? He invited people to the table, and then he brought the food to the table. Interesting as well that Jesus was like so much of a man around the table that the religious leaders actually called him a partier. Like, you're you're a glutton, is what they said to Jesus. Why? Because he spent so much time around the table, breaking bread, hanging out. Interesting, Jesus also used food or meals to express acceptance and reveal love. In Luke 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. A uh, tax collector in this time was like a cheat, an outcast. Nobody wanted to be with the tax collector. He didn't have many friends. But Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus and he wanted to see Jesus. Being that he was short in stature as Jesus was coming down the road, the scripture tells us he climbed a tree so he would have like a clear sight line to Jesus. And if you know the story, Jesus stopped like right underneath the tree and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house, and guess what we're going to do? We're going to break bread. Hey, Zacchaeus, nobody else is your friend. Nobody else wants to hang out with you. No one else really gives a rip about your life because you're such a scoundrel. But I'm going to go to your house today, and we're going to break some bread, and we're going to talk about life. I'm going to share some stories with you. And what you read, if you read the story in Luke 19, Zacchaeus' life was transformed And get this, it happened around the table where he experienced the love of Jesus. Then just before Jesus went to the cross, what we know is revealed in Scripture is he shared a meal with the disciples. It was called the Passover meal. What they had been celebrating for a lot of years, because this dates all the way back to the book of Exodus when the children of Israel came out of bondage, there was this celebration, this meal that was established called the Passover meal that they might remember that of God's provision. And so Jesus is gathered in the upper room with the disciples and they're gathered around the table and they're sharing a, a meal, not like the little communion cups we have and the little piece of bread we have. No, they're, they're experiencing a meal. I mean, they have the lamb, they have the wine, they have the bread. And it's interesting, in the midst of this Passover meal, as the disciples are gathered around the table, Jesus takes the bread and he uses it as a living illustration. And he says, hey guys, let me tell you what's going to happen. He says, this bread is a symbol that represents my body that's going to be given for you. And then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is, is the blood, it represents my blood that's going to be shed for you for the establishing of a new covenant. It was in the midst of sharing the Passover meal that Jesus revealed the greatness of his love and revealed the way of salvation that was going to be provided for mankind. It all happened, get this, around the table. As they were breaking bread, as they were sharing a meal. So, so what we discover in the life of Jesus is that food and, and the sharing of meals was like a really big part of his ministry to others. It was one of the central ways that Jesus revealed his love. Likewise, I think it's a great way that we can love like Jesus. It's a great way that we can, that we can share 
and community. Looking there to your notes this morning, we, we tend to think of food as like a function of biology, like we, we have to have food to eat if we're going to survive. Like if we don't eat, we think we'll die. But, it, but is it possible? Here's a question for you. Is it possible that gathering together to eat is also necessary to our social and spiritual well-being? Could it be? Could it be that God, in God's design, that he created us not only to need food to survive, but through the sharing of food, through the sharing of a meal, that we would discover like greater value in life. I mean, that, that certainly seems to be the pattern throughout the Bible and in the life of Jesus. In Leonard Sweet's book, From Tablet to Talk, a great little read, the tablet being from technology back to let's have a conversation. Um, he talks about food. He talks about the value of of time shared around the meal. And in the book, he tells the story of how someone challenged him by saying these words. He said, hey, Leonard, I bet I can tell you the whole Old Testament and New Testament in six sentences. Three sentences for the Old Testament, three sentences for the New Testament. And, and Leonard was, was captivated by the man's challenge. He said, go ahead. Said, Give me the summary. And so this is what the man said. He says, here's the three-sentence summary of the Old Testament. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Then the man went on with his three-sentence summary of the New Testament. He says, here's the three-sentence summary. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. I think that's a pretty good summary of the life of Jesus. Interesting. Gene Leclerc offers a great definition of the Gospels. This is the definition he gives. Jesus ate good food with bad people. Isn't that a great statement? What did Jesus do? Really simple. Don't make it complicated. Jesus gathered around the table and he broke bread and he ate good food with bad people so that they might experience that of his love. I mean, this was such, such an accurate description of Jesus that someone in his day composed this, this little jingle about him that went viral. This is what they said about Jesus, that he was a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Pretty good statement of your life, is it not? We see this playing out in the text we want to look at this morning in, in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, if you, if you would look with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 5. Jesus has just performed a miracle. There's a, a man who is paralyzed, who's healed. So there's great excitement, a, a buzz about. And, and as Jesus is kind of, as I read the story, kind of moving away from the crowd, he sees a man in a tax collector's booth. And the man is, is Matthew, or as Luke references him here, it's, he calls him Levi. It's Matthew, Levi, or Levi, Matthew. We're talking about the same individual. But as we're going to see in this story, Jesus sees Matthew and he calls him to be his disciple. He calls him to be his follower. So let's read the story. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. It says, after this, after the miracle of the healing of the paralytic, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. So in other words, Matthew made a pretty radical decision. He left it all to follow Jesus. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice what Jesus said, verse 31. He answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's Jesus doing something pretty radical, even unthinkable for the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders. So he's moving from this miracle, the healing of the paralyzed man. He sees this tax collector, Matthew, and he sees the potential of who God created him to be. I really believe that. God knew that, uh, Jesus knew that God created Matthew for more than being a tax collector. And so he calls him to be his follower, to be his disciple. And Matthew makes the radical decision to leave it all to follow Jesus. And it like transforms his life. And he's so excited. His life has been so changed. He's so like celebrating this moment. What does he do? Throws a party, right? I mean, if you're celebrating, what do you do? You throw a party, right? I mean, let's get everybody together. So Matthew invites all of his friends. Who were his friends? The only friends he had were other tax collectors, other scoundrels like himself. He didn't have any friends. And see, at this time, if you understand the culture of this time, a tax collector was a Jewish individual who was stealing from his own people to support the oppressive Roman government. So, stealing from others to pad his own pocket and to support the Roman rule. And so they were hated. Nobody wanted to hang out with the tax, a social outcast. When Matthew makes this decision that he's going to become a follower of Jesus, he wants to celebrate. So he invites all of his tax collecting buddies, his cheating buddies, to come and to experience Jesus. And what do they do? They do it around the table. They gather around the table, and as they're breaking bread, these tax collectors get to hear the story. These tax collectors get to experience grace. These tax collectors get to experience, maybe for the first time, what does love really look like? And I'm taking a little freedom with the text here this morning, but I really believe that for some of these tax collectors, this was a defining moment. This was a turning point in their lives. Why? Because they experienced Jesus, get this, around the table. Eating fried chicken, maybe. I don't know. What we know is it wasn't, it wasn't pork chops, right? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't fried chicken, but we know it wasn't pork chop. But Matthew invited all of his buddies to meet Jesus around the table. And there's no way around it. The table played a central role in the life and ministry of Jesus. It was through sharing a meal that Jesus expressed love and acceptance. It was... It was at the table where Jesus shared truths that transformed his disciples. It was through sharing a meal that Jesus revealed both his humanity and his deity. So for Jesus, the table and sharing a meal was more than just like meeting a physical need. It was a place where life and love was shared. Again, we're around the table. So, so where are the best places to eat? Because I really believe we've been called to the table. 
And when I ask the question, where are the best places to eat, I'm not talking about the best restaurants in town. Uh, I know where the best restaurants are. I have my opinion. You probably have your opinion. That's not what I'm asking you this morning. Where's the best place to set the table? I'm going to give you three areas really quick as I wrap this up. Three places that I believe we need to set the table. The first is, is we need to set the table at home. In the home. One of the things that I, I see happening in our, in our Western culture is we've lost the value of the table in the home. And the place where we share love and we share life around the table. It's interesting, following Jesus' death and resurrection, and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we see some radical things happening. Peter preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. I mean, the church, the early church is exploding with growth. But what's interesting is how they shared their story, how they, how they begin to live out their faith, how they begin to share in love. I want you to listen now, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, uh, gives explanation to what was happening in the early church. Listen how the scripture reads. Notice what they did. They broke bread, where? In their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they were inviting people to the table and they were celebrating and they were worshiping and they were telling stories and they were having testimony time and they were breaking bread around the table and people were getting radically saved while they were experiencing the love and the grace of Jesus. Where? At the table. In the home. And great things can happen around the table. Now, I think the table for us should be a place where we not only share food, but we share love and life. It's a great place for discipleship, encouragement, and affirmation as we gather around the table. You know, the challenge for us today is the pace of life and um, the craziness of our schedules. We've allowed it to rob us of the value of the table. And like we, we don't have time to gather around the table just to hang out, just to tell stories, to share love and to share life. And we grab something at the fast food drive through and we eat a meal in the car as we're driving down the road because we have so much to do and we... Just don't make it to the table. Interesting, I was doing some reading for this sermon and I came across some information that said 60 years ago, the average dinner time for families was 90 minutes. Today, presently, the average dinner time is 12 minutes. I don't know how accurate that is, but I think there's some truth to that as to what we've allowed to happen in our culture today is we lost sight of the value of what can happen around the table in a home. We're, again, sharing love and sharing life. We're sharing stories. I know for, in my own life, and my life was quite, my growing up was quite an anomaly, and then I grew up on a farm working with my dad and my granddad every day. But we spent a lot of time around the table. And part of it was the way our, 
work day our lives played out. But I, I remember growing up that my mom wouldn't wake us up until breakfast was on the table. And we would come to the table and we would wait at the table until everyone was at the table. No one touched anything until everyone was at the table. And we would offer a prayer and we would share a a scripture and then we would sit at the table and we would share a meal and we would tell stories. And we'd share life. Then we'd go work and we'd come in at lunchtime and mom would have lunch on the table and we'd gather around the table. And we would share a meal and we would laugh and we would tell stories and enjoy life around the table. And then we would go back out and work on the farm and would come back at dinner time and we would gather around the table and we would end our day around the table. So much happened in our home around the table. Matter of fact, looking back on it now, I didn't realize it then. I was just a kid growing up, teenager who thought I had all the answers. But looking back on it now, what I, what I realized is that my parents were discipling me around the table. I didn't know it was happening, but it was. They were building values into my life around the table. While we were eating, eating biscuits and gravy and cornbread and pinto beans. Come on. My mom can make some mean pinto beans. But my life was being shaped as we gathered around the table. The value. Interesting. There was another study that I came across speaking of the the value of families that share frequent meals around the table. The study said, listen, it said the number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, and intelligent, kind human beings is it hinges on time around the table. Went on to say the number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children, even more than other, any other family event, including play, is connected to time around the table. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children is connected to time around the table. Study went on to say the variable most associated with lower in- incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds is connected to time around the table. Folks, there's no way around it. It's time around the table where we share love and share life. When we share the love of Jesus, it's so critical. It's so value, valuable. So I encourage you somehow, some way, in the craziness of your life, in the craziness of your schedule, figure out how you're going to make it happen. Grandparents, if you have the opportunity, get your grandchildren to the table. Parents, get your kids to the table. I know for my wife and I, we have to sit down and we have to figure it out on our calendar. I mean, we have two teenagers, 16 and 18 now, between work and school and play, my work, my wife's work. Listen, it's crazy, and it's probably the same for your family. But listen, don't allow the pace of life to rob you of the value of what can happen around the table. So this is what Jesus did. He met people at the table and he broke bread with them. And the end result was their lives were changed. The first place we need to set the table is is in the home. I I believe the second great place to set the table is in the church. In the church. Now, I'm not talking about church potlucks, although I'm always for a great potluck. I just say that. I'm always in. Rather, I'm talking about coming to the table as we celebrate communion. 
Again, as Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples just before going to the cross, he opened their understanding to the true meaning of the bread and wine. Up to this point, the disciples had probably celebrated a lot of Passover meals because it was part of the custom of the day. But on this day, at this meal, as they gathered around the table, all of a sudden, they began to understand that what they'd been celebrating for years was really a predictor of what was to come. It was God's plan of redemption laid out. And so Jesus unveils this, talking about, again, the bread, his body, the the wine, a representation of his blood. And it was then that he shared with the disciples what they experienced the love of Jesus where? At the table. Today, We don't so much have the Passover table as we have the communion table. Where we come and and we embrace, we partake of the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup, which speak again of what God's love for us, his provision for us. The Apostle Paul, writing to the early church in Corinth, gave them this direction concerning coming to the table in the church. As a body of Christ. Now, listen as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Excuse me, verse 23 through 26. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this and remember me. In other words, Paul's saying, Hey, come to the table. Gather around the table, take of the bread, and in that remember, remember the love. Remember the provision, remember the way that's been made. He goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we come to the communion table, it's so much more than just a religious ritual. It's so much more than just a church activity. No, we're coming to the table to embrace that of Christ's love, to embrace that of Christ's provision for our lives. And in that, what we're declaring his death and resurrection until he comes. So we need to come to the table. So if you think of it like this, communion is a time where the diverse body of Christ gets to come together because we have this common need of a Savior. And in that we're united. It's the body of Christ embracing and celebrating this sacred event of coming to the table. And you can do it on a daily basis. You can do it on a weekly basis. Every week here at Grace Covenant, we prepare the table. If you want to come and embrace the provision, we prepare the table that you can come and experience, remember, celebrate the love of Christ. On a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, however that would work for you. But Paul says, man, do this. Don't neglect the table. Come to the table. It's in the table that we not only experience the love of Christ, But it's at the table that we get to share the love of Christ with others. And that brings us to the final place. I I believe the final place we need to set the table is in the world. Or we can think of it like this, maybe to our community. 
Now, I think it's interesting that, that Jesus didn't just hang out with the disciples. He didn't have like, okay, here's my 12 buddies and I'm only going to spend time with them. Now, obviously, Jesus had some great times with the disciples around a campfire. I, I happen to believe Jesus was fun to hang out with. I think they had lots, lots of laughter. I think Jesus spent some time around the table just discipling the twelve. But he didn't limit it to just the twelve. He invited other people that were really different from him to the table. I mean, that's what we see playing out in Luke 5. I mean, Jesus calls Matthew this low-down, good-for-nothing, cheating tax collector. He called him to become a follower. Matthew is transformed by the grace and love of Jesus, and he invites all of his Tax collecting buddies and said, hey, my life's been transformed. Come and sit at the table with Jesus and hear what he has to say. Come in and experience his love. And they did. And I believe their lives were changed. It's really inviting people to the table who are different from us. Inviting people to the table who are like maybe far from God. That they might experience God through you. That they might experience Jesus through you at the table. And as they experience the love of Jesus through our lives, who knows how it might transform their own lives. See, when we love our neighbors, when we share a table with them, when we, when we bless and break bread together, who knows how Jesus might encounter them. It's there that we get to tell our own story, that we get to express the love of Jesus. Now, I think we, we have a, a, a great example of the power of the table and what happens when we set the table for the world illustrated by this past Tuesday night. What happened this past Tuesday evening? What did we do? Really simple. We set the table and we invited men who were far from God to the table. Listen, if you want to get men to the church, you offer food. It works. We created this crazy menu of food items and we invited men to come to the table and have a meal, break bread. It was really simple. As I walked about the rooms Tuesday evening, this is what I heard and saw. I saw a lot of men interacting, telling stories. I heard a lot of laughter around the table. But as men came to the table... And they gathered around the table and they broke bread. They began to tell stories. And then we had some wonderful volunteers, team members, who were moving about the room, filling up iced tea glasses, getting second and third desserts for the men. That really works well. And they were experiencing the generosity and the kindness and the grace of a lot of awesome servants. And they're breaking bread as they're gathered around the table. And then we come in here and a man tells his story, his testimony, and 45 men commit their lives to Jesus Christ. It all began around the table. As individuals who were far from God were simply invited to the table. And it was there that something began to transpire, something that began to happen in their lives that brought them to a defining moment. See, I believe that's, that's the potential of what can happen as we set the table in the world. As we begin to invite individuals, maybe that are really different from us, 
to the table and we just have conversation and we share stories and we break bread. Listen, you can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. Your job's not to save them. Their job's what? Just to sow the seed. Right? I mean, it's up to God to do the saving. So what's your job? What's my job? It's to invite people to the table. Hey, let's, let's uh, break some bread. Let's share some stories that they might experience Jesus in you. That they might experience the grace of Jesus through you. Generosity and kindness as you're gathered around the table. And who knows? Who knows what God might do? As you're simply loving like Jesus and breaking bread. So here's the summary. What did Jesus do? He gathered around the table and he broke bread. So here's my question for you. What's your plan? There in the sermon notes, if you've already put those away, if you'd get them back out, if you look on the back, there's a little box that says, this is my plan. So here's my question for you. What's your plan this week? What are you going to do about this? Maybe it's, hey, this week I'm going to call this family and I'm going to invite them into my home so we can gather around the table and share life and share love and share stories. Or maybe maybe you've been thinking about that coworker, that individual at work and you've just never got around to it. Maybe you're going to write in that box, this week I'm going to take this individual to lunch and I'm going to pay for their lunch. And we're going to have some conversation. We're going to tell some stories. And they're going to experience the generosity and the love of Jesus through my life. Over a hamburger. Or maybe if you're a high school student, maybe you're a student at half high. Maybe your your note there in the box, this is my plan. Maybe there's that individual that you've been noticing who's sitting alone every day in the lunchroom. And they have no one to talk to. Like they've been isolated. And you say, hey, this week, I'm going to go and I'm going to share lunch with that individual. And I'm going to tell them my story. Or maybe, maybe the point here is, husbands, you're going to sit down with your wife. And you're going to look at your schedule and you're going to say, as Joshua did for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to make the table a priority and this is how it's going to work out in my schedule. Lead men in your home. Maybe that's what you're writing. I, I don't know how you're going to put this to action. But I, I know for me, I, I, uh, part of it is, I, again, really honest, I just love to eat. But I, I fill my calendar not only around my family, but intentionally around individuals. I mean, I, I'm going to lunch with someone today. I had three lunches, a dinner, a couple of breakfasts last week. I get to the table because I believe that lives are transformed at the table. Like the walls of defense come down. People are open and responsive. It's a great place to share love and share life at, at the table. So again, what did Jesus do? He came to the table and he broke bread. May that be true of our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for your love for us. And God, how your love has transformed our lives. God, we're not the same people today that we were 
yesterday or last week or last month because of your love. Oh, and my prayer today for myself, for my friends, is that we would be those who walk out, who live out your love. And, and God, forgive us for making it way too difficult. Lord, I really believe it's as simple as coming to the table and breaking bread. It's there that people experience, Jesus, who you are. And in through our lives, it's there that they experience generosity and kindness and, and love. So, Holy Spirit, my prayer is for my, again, for myself, for my friends, is that we would, Lord, that we would come back to the value of the table in the home. Lord, that we would see the value of, of the table, Lord, in the church and in the community. Lord, as we're living out love, may we just have a lot of time around the table. Breaking bread, sharing love, and sharing life. My prayer would be, Lord, from this time forward, that we would, that we would see the meal time as, as not just a time to meet a physical need in our body, like fill our stomachs, but we would see it as, a, as an opportunity to share life. Holy Spirit, help us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.